Thanks for listening to CarCast on Podcast One. Hey guys, before we get started, I want to tell you about Dodge. This spring, the Brotherhood of Muscle is looking for new members, and the only way to join is to get behind the wheel of Dodge's only family of all-wheel drive muscle cars. The Dodge Charger, the only muscle car in its class to throw you back in your seat with 300 horsepower and still get 30 miles per gallon. You know, the Dodge Challenger, you know, the groundhog didn't see its shadow. It heard the rev of the most affordable V8 in its class. And the Dodge Journey, maximize your adventure with the most powerful third-row all-wheel drive vehicle in its class. And certainly the Dodge Durango. Tear through April showers with the most powerful SUV with all-wheel drive availability in its class. Hurry into your Dodge dealership and start your introduction to the Brotherhood of Muscle. Hey, welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea, and... Uh, Goldberg is on a plane as we speak, as we're recording this. He's coming back from Bristol. He was down there at the NASCAR race, and he was doing, like, the driver introductions and and meeting a bunch of people and uh, doing a little work while we're down there. But um, uh, we've got Alistair Weaver back from Edmunds.com. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you, Matt. Great to be back. It's uh, It's been about a month, so we wanted to check in with you. We've got a bunch of cool things to talk about. Um you and I were at the Long Beach Grand Prix this weekend. You just came back, uh, uh, you know, not too long ago from the New York Auto Show. Um, we've got a bunch of other cool things that uh, are happening. Uh, let's uh, let's get right into it. So, New York Auto Show. I mean, it's you know, as you're listening to this, it's gone by a little bit, but uh, but you know, that show, like a lot of the big car shows, is sort of setting the stage for what to look for over the next year. And as much as we love, you know, like what's hot with Porsche and what's hot with, you know, uh, you know the, the supercars and stuff, but not everybody can afford those. <laughs> and uh, so it's a big deal for, for these car companies to come out with the next Corolla or the next F-150. And Well, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because Toyota did come out with the the next Corolla and the RAV4. I mean, the RAV4 is going to sell over four hundred thousand units a year yeah. in the US. It's, uh, you know, that is that is the model you bet the company on. Um, and it's it looks like the trucks. It's got a, it's a lot more masculine. It's quite it's uh, quite aggressive, but a, a great interior. It looks like a, a key step forward for them. Um, so Toyota impressed us with that. Lincoln showed off a, a, a concept for the Aviator, which is coming next year. Which is a big I saw some photos. It looks like a baby Navigator, and it looks gorgeous it is a baby navigator but it's still the same size as a range rover so it's kind of <laughs> okay. it's a baby but yeah. it's a big baby so is the is the aviator basically the same size as an explorer and yeah. the navigator is like the size of an expedition yeah the navigator is the one that you can get you know seven adults and, and luggage and is as big yeah. as your house whereas the aviator is more range rover size so yeah it, it's you can just about get adults in the back, but if you've got adults in the back, you've got no luggage space. So it's so, it's, it, it, so the Aviator is a third row seat vehicle if you want it to be. Yeah, it's like right. a rival to something like the Audi Q7. It's that kind. Okay. It, it's that pitch. Yeah, so it's got kind of a Q7 size Range Rover size, like full size Range Rover, not sport Range. No, full like, size yeah, Range Rover, Rover, big daddy one. Yeah, but then there's a few of the little bit larger ones. Now, is Navigator doing a long wheelbase version and a short wheelbase version? 
Um, at the moment, I think it's only. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Any any readers, but I think at the moment it's only it's only on a standard wheelbase. But I mean, the Navigator is right. a huge it's huge big. vehicle. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the reason I hesitate because sometimes in China they do some interesting things over yeah. there that you get there. Uh, you get all sorts of strange strange extensions, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, Aviator, I think, will be a, a key model for them. And it's interesting. They they really feel like they're on a roll. And yeah. they're not saying, yeah, that's the Here's there it picture is. we're looking at. It looks great. It is. And the real feeling is that Lincoln's on a bit of a roll at the moment. Um, you know, you look around and, and, and actually, Lincoln's on a roll. Cadillac... They showed off the X-T4, which is the little baby, yeah. uh, the little baby SUV. We were pretty disappointed by that. It it just doesn't feel like a premium product. I mean, a Cadillac should it should feel opulent, and a, it just feels very mainstream. I I thought Cadillac over the past few years has been doing a great job and sort of stepping into the limelight with this performance oriented uh, a, a brand. But yeah, when you get into it, it still feels like 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 a like a C average C plus luxury interior. It's not. A, a B or A luxury interior, you know, like where just the opposite is Lincoln has struggled for so long and the Lincoln Continental came out and I drove the black label version of that and I thought the materials were fantastic. I thought it was it, – it felt like a higher-end car. It was very pretty. Um, the crazy 30-way seats are were nice and, and – the services that they were offering, like they'll come to your, they'll come to your house, to your office, and paint samples and leather samples, and you can order it up that way. So I think there's sort of uh, there's things I like with Cadillac, and there's things I like with Lincoln, but but neither one of them are are hitting it out of the park. Yeah, yeah, and the Cadillac is interesting. I actually walked across the show floor from the from the Rav Four to the Cadillac, and in theory, going from a a mainstream car, a premium car, and it just didn't feel like that that step. But I th- having said that, though, I think it'll do very well for them. And and the whole thing is about getting Cadillac into into a younger buyer. Yeah, you know, so it's not the old guy at the golf club; it's actually younger, more dynamic buyer. I, I'm I'm still interested in it. I'm in all of them. So I I reached out to to Ford and said, um, you know, we always do our big annual road trip to Monterey Car Week, and we bring a bunch of guys and a bunch of gear, and I always try to find something that's new and cool to drive and has room for everybody. So I already reached out to Ford. I was like, you know, if you could, please put us on the list or save us a spot. We'd love to drive the Lincoln Navigator to Monterey in August. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I know we're way ahead of the time on, on putting that out there, but like, we'd love to do that. So I'm excited about having the chance to do that. And then later this week... I'm going to be driving the Cadillac CTSV. Yeah, which you know, I, I'm a big fan of the super sedan. So, like, I love the idea of, of being all being able to being able to haul around four people or whatever, and that kind of power. And uh, I like the muscle sedan kind of thing. You know, it's I feel like back in the day, um, AMG had a lot of that. Like AMG was just sort of like the German muscle car. Yeah. And right. especially with the wagons, yeah, they yeah. they were they were fantastic. But, yeah, but actually, you said the one thing about Lincoln that I that I like about what they're talking about is that we we got so used. If you go to lots of car launches over the years, like I have, everybody stands. Ah, you know, you'll get some Germanic voice saying this is going to be the new sporty SUV. Yeah, and actually, Lincoln didn't say that. A bit like Volvo, they just stood up and said, you know, this is going to be safe. It's going to be comfortable. It's going to be a great vehicle for your family. It's going to have a really nice interior. I just thought that's a that's a that's a great thing to say. You know, not yeah. everybody wants to go charge. You know, this is a family car, and everybody's going to go charging around in it. And I just thought, actually, you've pulled a bit of a niche there. You're not trying to be more German than the Germans. You're not trying to outdo Audi, BMW, Mercedes. You're trying to carve your own niche, and the interior looks terrific. I 
I don't know if the Lincoln Continental is selling well or not. I, I think I have a feeling it's probably not doing as well as they expected, but I think the new navigator is what's going to save that brand again. Like, yeah, they, maybe the Aviator as well. I think the Aviator yeah. will be will be a, a you know a good pitch for them. And that, it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to launch a, to build not launch but build a luxury brand anywhere in the world. But you know, China market gives them a it's a fresh palette over there. People don't come with the same sort of prejudices maybe that they do over here, and particularly yeah. in Europe. So that gives them a real opportunity to to, to build. And the the Navigator. It's funny because you said they went out there and they just sort of pitched it as this is the next like really comfortable luxury brand for us, luxury vehicle for us. Um, and then they're like, yeah, it's got some power. And they're like, oh, it basically has the Raptor engine in it, but <laughs> yeah. we're not we're not telling you it's got the Raptor engine in it, right? Like it's got 450 horsepower. You know, but why not? I mean, you've done all the tech, you've done all the research on it, and let's put it in something else. You know, you calibrate it a little differently, you gear it up a little differently, and you turn it into a really nice uh, Lincoln uh, Navigator engine. You know, well, well, I, I don't know what's going to end up in the in the Aviator. I'm sure there's going to be some version of of the small four, you know, the small turbo engine or something. There, there's going to be some small engine, but it's also going to be a twin turbo hybrid. So twin oh, turbo yeah, plug-in hybrid to take yeah. on something like the Volvo XC90 T8. Um, so that'll be an interesting thing. Yeah, but, but you're right. I mean, power and and, and talk particularly have always been a, a definition of of luxury, hasn't it? When you go back to the old days of Rolls Royce, it was like yeah. it's, it's it's ample. You know? <laughs> okay, so you mentioned the Rav Four. What made the Rav Four so successful up to this point? I think it's just hit that niche, hasn't it? When you look at the market at the moment, you know the sedan market is in decline. It's mm-hmm. it's all about SUVs, and and everybody is peppering that market for what we call compact SUVs. That that is where. You know that is where shoppers are. If you look at the the data on the Edmund site, that's that's what people are buying. And, and it's interesting. Nissan also launched the new Ultima at um, at New York, which will do very well for them. But you know, although you're still talking about hundreds of thousands of sales, it, it's the SUVs. I mean, Toyota now sells more Rav4s than it does the Camry, um, and it's yeah. just what people want. You know, you sit a bit higher. But because technology's moved on, you're not suffering for fuel consumption. It doesn't have the old kind of roly-poly handling. It's, you know, these are these just kind of fit what people want right now. Here, here's an interesting question. So I'm not really the market for the smaller, I don't know, is the, is the, is the RAV4 and the, is that the small SUV or is that a mid SUV? Like what category is that going? So in? a RAV4 is basically what you would call a, a compact. So that that's good. How to put that? That's a that's a good size for your family. It's a it's a five seater. It's a um, so you're talking about uh, Honda CRV. It's that it's that. Pitch. Yeah. Okay. So when you guys are looking at these, and and this is this is the average person, average family car. This is nothing wrong with this car. Nothing wrong with this segment. How do you guys sort of rate the segment? Why does the CRV or the Rav Four rather? Why does that do so well in this segment compared to all of the other competition, the uh, Ford Escaper or whatever? Or you mentioned the Cadillac or um, a GMC has a, a, a version, I forget sure. what they call it. Yeah, I mean, why does the – I mean, ultimately, I think both the, the – Like C- what are people looking for in this segment that I guess RAV4 is hitting the mark on? I guess there's lots of reasons why why people buy. I mean, obviously, the, the I mean, at Edmunds we take everything through a very kind of rigorous testing testing process. Um, so we look at we with every vehicle that we get into the office, it goes down to our private test track, and we will run all the figures. We will then take it to our studio. We will measure measure the car. So it's a very kind of empirical process. But on top yeah. of that. Uh, we add the the experience, the the subjectivity that comes from exp- experience of having driven all these all these different models. 
Um, and then we rank everything. So you're about to see, you're just redeveloping some stuff at the moment where you will see all these vehicles ranked. Um, and this is really about helping buyers understand what vehicle meets their needs and, and what works for them. And when we go through this process, I mean, we're big fans of the CRV, for example, just because it's it's a great all rounder. And then you you know you add in add in some of the deals that, that Toyota's spending a lot of money, you know, pushing these products out there. Yeah. So it's not just, it's about a finding out what what car works for you, and you do that through research. Then, of course, the second thing is looking at what deals are out there, and and we help with that too. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when you're shopping around in that segment, I don't know what the key selling points are. I mean, to say. Uh, I'm, I would probably say design, yeah. safety, and fuel economy. Safety. Because when you start like getting into like what's the zero to sixty time between the difference between a CRV and a Rav Four, it's like who cares? Yeah, you're right. right? I, and actually, because like, it's, it's not we're not it's not a CTSV. You know, like we don't really care if it's if it's one to eight point seven, one's eight point four. Really, it, it, nobody cares. No, you're right. And and part of the reason we're putting it through the testing process is not to find out whether it's 8.6 or 8.7, but to find out if there's a big difference. You know, if you're pulling onto the, the on-ramp, onto a, onto a highway or whatever, then, yeah. then you know, if it's significantly slower, then that makes a big difference to, you, to your daily drive. So that's the kind of real-world performance yeah. that we're looking for. Beyond that, I mean, obviously for, for people styling makes a, makes a big difference. Uh, safety, particularly for, you know, as a family vehicle, that's a, that's a huge driver. Um, also things like comfort and convenience, you know, is there, is there space inside for all the, you know, the crap that we, we, we carry today, yeah. you know, will, will your, will your phone sync up nicely as it got CarPlay or Android Auto or, you know, the, I mean, we have problems with Toyota's engine is not a great system. For example, it's amazing when you live with these vehicles and we have a lot of them on long-term test as well. When you live with a vehicle day in, day out, and, and you sit in traffic commuting backwards and forwards, and things like does your you know, does your iPhone or your or your Android work with the infotainment system? You know, how how quickly does that yeah. sync up? You know, can you can you navigate your way home with 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 traffic information? All these all these things which is enthusiastic, it's all like, yeah, going fast and, and driving up a mountain and all the rest of it. But you know, these sort of day to day things are, are actually why people That's why a people good buy point. these kind I, of I cars. would add that to be fourth on the list, like you know, design, safety, miles per gallon, and then convenience features. Yeah. It's like for sure. You know, and are, are you going to get into a car and at what price? Does it come standard with, with CarPlay or Android hookup or whatever? Is, is there, where are the outlets and, and what do, you know, can, can the kids plug in things and can we plug in things and, and, and whatnot? So that's kind of interesting. Here, um, I, not to get too much into the whole like testing process. I think we'll do that in a later show, but is a $30,000 car less safe than a $100,000 car? Like, where are we now? Like, is, is, should we expect a Mercedes E-Class to be infinitely more safe than an Altima? Uh, infinitely, no. <laughs> uh, but the reality is, the reality is the way that the testing process works um, and the way these things come uh, come together, it's... There is there is basic physics in all of this that if you have a big heavy vehicle hitting a smaller lighter vehicle, then this is going back to to schoolboy physics. Um, you know, it, 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 nobody likes to admit this, but you are generally better being in the big heavy heavier vehicle. Yeah, um, and obviously having more money to spend and more often more space as well uh, does. You know, you, you see a lot of the the new technologies debuting on the luxury vehicles. I mean, if you think going way back, it was Mercedes that introduced the airbag for, uh, an AB, airbag for the first time and ABS brakes, things like that. So it does take it does. It's an awful thing to say, but but it but it does play a difference. But 
the wing thing I would say is that safety standards over the past decade, last 10, 20 years have, have just yeah. in, improved immeasurably. So is now, it- and I understand that like, like say the Mercedes and the Audis and the Jaguars of the world, they have some additional safety features, sure. you know, uh, automatic braking and, and all the little lights when you're shifting lanes and, and things like that. But I'm just talking about, you know, in, in a, in a collision, like ultimately we have standards now where, for the most part, a lot of the crash testing and things like yeah. that, like the real safety that goes through your head as a as a parent or somebody who's who's buying maybe a car for their kid to go to college or whatever, is it really that much difference between an E class and an Altima? Like, I get the idea is if there's a collision between a smart car and a Yukon, you want to be in the Yukon, yeah, <laughs> right, because you, you're going to kick that little car like a football down the street once you hit it with a Yukon, right? So. Uh, you know, but now are we, we're at a point where like, look, you can get into a reasonably priced new car, the Corollas of the world, the, the, you know, the, the Altimas of the world, whatever, uh, the Civics and Accords of the world and say, this is a good car with the features that you want. And by the way, you don't have to spend $79,000 on a BMW five series to get the same Safety, comfort, whatever. I, I think the straight answer is is yes. I mean, if you look at where independent testing, because you know, car manufacturers at the end of the day are driven by what sells cars, and safety has become so important. And all the independent testing has done an incredible job of, of showing real world consumers actually which cars are safe and which isn't. It's driven up safety standards. So, so I think now if you look at what the the test results are for a car before you buy it, I'd encourage everybody to do that. You know, you can feel confident in in what in what you're buying. But the interesting thing as well today, we're seeing a huge amount of, of of new technology around. We're starting to talk about autonomous systems, but this is happening in in, in safety as well. So there's two things. There's one about um, safety. If you have a crash, is the air, is the airbag going to work? Is the crumple yeah. zone going to work? But then the other thing is about avoiding a crash in the first place. And and we're starting to see technology like collision mitigation, braking, where the vehicle will actually break if it if it senses that you're about to have a crash um lane change assist where it will tell you if the, if the vehicle's in your blind spot we're starting to see this sort of technology appear across the whole right it started market. in the luxury mars cars yeah. now it's trickling down you I, know uh to to pretty much all cars <laughs> yeah and that's making a huge difference um and it's interesting coming from from the uk where on the on the highways, you can't overtake on on either side. To the US, you suddenly realise how important this technology is because if you're in the middle lane, you've got somebody flying up your inside and your outside. Yeah, just having a, an extra little system that's saying actually don't don't try and change lanes now. Something's in your blind spot is is terrific. And and yes, the, the kind of what we call the democratisation of, of safety technology yeah. is is playing a huge benefit. I didn't know that you couldn't overtake one in the UK. So when we were there, I was doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were driving around. I was doing it wrong. I was driving like an American. Did you have the stars and stripes in the, in the back? <laughs> no, we didn't. We rented. We rented. Uh, we rented this um, this uh, panel van kind of thing, uh, like a like a like a sprinter van. Yeah, yeah. But I say these thing. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure this was Volkswagen, and it was front wheel drive and Caravelle probably or something like you know, that. Like yeah. I don't know what it was, and like you expect them all to be white, but this one was black. Um, we were just fascinated that it, it held, I don't know, like tons of gear and a production crew and everybody like it just held, you know, 10 people in this thing, Yeah, but it was front wheel drive with this little tiny engine. The rear was just like, just a straight axle going across the back. You can just see, that's all you saw. Like you could, you look at it from the back, you're like, that's just a straight axle. I don't see anything back there. There's nothing else back there. 
and uh, we were driving this thing around, and uh, it was it was pouring rain, and and we we hit something. We we scraped the side. We scraped the like the sliding door on this thing. Oh, we were going to the airport, and we we went into a parking garage. This thing did not fit in a parking garage. We're like, we got it. It's fine. Uh, so we scraped something there. Oh, and then we drove past the hotel and all the streets for like one way. And I was like, we can't go around the block again. <laughs> so I had somebody get out, like stop traffic. And we backed up the wrong way. And everybody was very mad. Like all of your people were My mad. People. <laughs> your people were very mad. Um, so we uh, – That's why people voted Brexit. Right? <laughs> it was us. We started it. So we went out there and then it was is uh, we saw the van um, – we went into the house. Everybody had a bunch of drinks. Uh, we had like an Airbnb there. We went out. We looked at the van. We saw the big scrape down the side. And we're like, we got this. So we just looked around the Airbnb for like rags and car polish. They didn't have it. <laughs> so we're like, let's try toothpaste, see if that works. And uh, uh, there was a little bit of like cleaning off some of the marks, but there were some grooves left. And we're standing there scratching our heads. And I was like, oh, no, I got this. I got it figured out. It's a black van. I went inside and we grabbed the Sharpie and we just filled in all the lines <laughs> with black. And when we returned the van, it was so rainy out that the girl that that was working at the car rental place, she's like, "Yeah, it looks good." She didn't even go outside. She didn't. She didn't. She didn't care. And I feel like just as soon as she signs off that we're good, that like we're we're just yeah. good. Yeah. God bless so, the hire car. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you to your weather for <laughs> for not charging us. We were about to buy a van, but uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's funny. You if can you, fix it with a sharpie. It's you, fine. It's a rental. Shit happens. I remember a few years ago, Aston Martin decided to save a bit of money. They were going through a tough time. They would launch, I think, it was the Vanquish, last generation Vanquish in the UK. Uh, and they'll bring everybody to the factory. It'll you know be heritage. It'll be beautiful. Yeah. Else. But of course, uh, if you're a Brit, you're used to sitting on the left and driving because you travel in Europe so much in the US. But trying to bring people over here and drive a fast car sitting on the right, uh, they lost so many rims. They lost so many wings. Oh yeah. I mean, it would have co- it, it would have been cheaper to take everybody to Spain or somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> right. Take it. Yeah. It Especially so- for Aston Martin, like the one thing we should do is is not wreck all of our cars. Right. Well, the other problem is sitting those things, and of course, it's it's very difficult to see out. You know, you can't see. It's not like an SUV. You can't see the corners of the car. So people were – they lost so many cars. <laughs> That's too bad. I like Aston Martin. We got, there's one in the other room. Um, did you get a chance to see the Jaguar uh, F-Pace SVR? I did. It's a great-looking SUV. Yeah, it is a great-looking SUV. I thought it was a cool-looking car, cool-looking SUV to begin with, and then the SVR version just kind of gave it a hairy chest and made it into a – much much more of a of a monster right yeah and it wears it's it wears the war point really well um five liter v8 uh supercharged gust 550 horsepower 21 or 22 inch rims i mean this is but the other interesting thing is we got used to it, the svr vehicles being super expensive yeah here's now, a picture of it up here it looks good yeah, it's a great looking vehicle but this thing is going to be, I mean, no, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that $80,000 isn't a lot of money. It's a huge amount of money. But when you think that the, the F-Type SVI is what starts about 120 plus options, you can easily get one of those to 150000 And I drove the Range Rover Sport SVR, and that's got to be 110 yeah. 120 somewhere in that range, depending on the options, so, which was cool and was fast and it was loud, but... Yeah, so the interesting thing is is bringing this car in at this point. It's almost like they're going to make SVI. It feels like this. They're going to drop the R badge. I don't know this, but this is yeah. my 
my suspicion, that they will drop the R barge and SVR will become like M-Power or AMG. AMG. So it sort of sit on top of the range rather than being kind of a little bit otherworldly. I'm trying to figure out the strategy behind which they choose to do. Now, oh, here's a question, though. Is the Range Rover autobiography a r- part of the SVO program that they have? No, I, I, think, I think that all- sort of came out of that division. So I, I'm wondering if SV division or SVO, it's a weird to, I, it's weird to kind of figure it all out. So they have a division called SVO, like Special Vehicle yeah. Operations, which was always confusing to me because Ford had that yes. for the longest time. Right? Yeah. So when you say SVO, I think Ford. So Jaguar has an SVO division, but it's not SVO branded vehicles. It's SVR branded vehicles. Or they're SV, Special Vehicles. Yeah, because... But be- then there's the R model of it. Yeah, because the rationale originally, and yeah, you're right. The, the, the rationale originally was that performance cars would be SVR, then they would have a separate SVO model for things like the new Defender. So you can have extreme, or there's a there's an SVO version of the new Discovery, which yeah. is all about going off road and saving you know saving the world. So so it was like SVO is the kind of umbrella and then you have SVR and then you have something else I can't even remember for yeah. the off-road vehicles but yeah it's pretty confusing but I think it's coming out of that SVO division so the, the special vehicle operations division that is part of Jaguar Land Rover it's not yeah. it, it's, no, it's, 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 it's a, I think it's te- this is getting geeky now but I think it's technically a separate company but it's part of the part of Jaguar Land Rover right. and what, I, what I meant is it's not exclusively doing something for Jaguar or Land Rover it's it's working on both vehicles sure so, yeah. okay so this SVO uh, company is sort of the AMG if you will for Jaguar Land Rover and they are going to be releasing high performance variants like the SVR models and possibly other versions like more capable off-road or more whatever. So sort yeah. of a Ford Raptor, if you will, and a you know uh, GT350, if you will. Yes. You know, so sort of that division. But I like that they're going down that route because Jaguar does have a lot of performance heritage. Um, and, and Land Rover has a lot of very off-road capability uh, heritage. Um, Reliability heritage is possibly another thing, <laughs> um, but we're such big fans, right? Like everybody, like Jaguars are gorgeous, and and everybody out here drives a Range Rover, yeah. Uh, regardless if it's in the shop or not, like it just, yeah. It, it, they drive know, it sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they drive it sometimes. Um, so I like what they're doing there. So the F Type SVR, which but I drove, I, I drove the F Type SVR, and it's fantastic. It's, I mean, I love the exhaust note. It's loud. It's, it's so much more fun to just drive around Beverly Hills when you put it in manual paddle shift just in first gear and just like just rev it up and then get off and hear all that pop and crackle at the light and just go from light to light as slow as possible. Yeah. It makes better noise that way than it does even going fast. And it's it's a weird thing that we can do here. It's like, oh, there's traffic? Yeah, hit the sport exhaust in traffic because <laughs> that's what it's really for. Um, so the F-Pace, why, why did Jaguar do the F-Pace as opposed to a Velar? Well, the Velar and the F Pace are are basically the same. The same, the right. same thing, so right? So why why do the Jag version and not the Range Rover version? I'm going to go with Heritage. It's because Jaguar is a little more on the performance side, and Jaguar doesn't have a Range Rover Sport size vehicle. Sure. So that got the SVR treatment, and then 
you know, Jaguar does have an F-type and it has an F-pace, so they're going to get the R treatment or the SVR treatment. I think that's true, but also remember that Velar's a lot newer vehicle and what, what manufacturers t- tend to do like, like Jaguar is doing now is the F-pace has been around a little while. It needs, mm-hmm. a bit of a, needs a bit of a kick. So you bring out the sporting model. I mean, every, every, every manufacturer does this. You bring out the sporting model, get a bit more, you know, get the media excited again, get a bit more noise around it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think... We will see the F pace, but I wouldn't rule out doing a Velar S. That doesn't work, does it? Velar SVR. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they're going to have to think about how they're going to name that if they do it. I don't. Well, look, they don't need it because they have the Jag. Yeah, and right? the Velar sells as well. I mean, the Velar yeah. is a beautiful thing. That's and good. and there's no reason to do the full size Range Rover in an SVR because you can already get it with with 500 something horsepower. Yeah. You know, you can get the supercharged version, but and they have the ultra. Luxury version, the autobiography, which is, I thought came from the SVO division. I could be wrong, but basically, you could spend two hundred thousand dollars on yeah, on the rest, yeah. You know, on on a big Range Rover that's all you know pimped out, if you will. But, um, uh, well, it sounds like some exciting stuff, and I'm I'm curious to drive the uh, the F Pace SVR at some point. Um, I can't say that I'm going to get a, a, a RAV4 test vehicle anytime soon, but that's why you're here. <laughs> now, here's, get- a, here's another thing. It's because we're going to get more and more into testing of the vehicles and things like that, and we're going to have a conversation in a second about the Tesla. And mm-hmm. the reason why is because you guys at Edmonds buy your vehicles. So there's there's no like, hey, test drive my, you know, my Cadillac CTS-V like I'm going to be test driving and say, you know, you know, yeah, we want you to be honest, but also, you know, we're we're working with you, you're part of the media, whatever. Like you do work with all of the manufacturers, but you guys buy a lot of cars every year. You you know, you uh, you or, or somebody waited, you know, in a parking lot at midnight trying to, you know, like like getting Coachella tickets or something, yeah. but it was getting a Tesla Model Three, and uh, and you guys had to buy it and order it and get an early one, and and you do that for a lot of your vehicles, right? Pretty much, we do. It's a, it's a, it's a mixed deal. I mean, obviously, we drive manufactured press vehicles, but we also, when we think it's it's um, a significant vehicle that's really in the kind of consumer interest that people are interested in and is relevant, so. We do go out and buy them, and, and I joined the company and was given a budget to go and buy cars, which is great. Which hey? is fantastic. Yeah. Okay, well, good. We're going to talk about how, as you buy cars, you're going to end up driving a RAV4 and a Tesla Model 3. But yeah. first, I'm going to tell you about the Dodge Spring sales event. Hurry to the Dodge Spring sales event today and become the newest member of the Brotherhood of Muscle. they got a great lineup. The Dodge Charger. You can own the road and the pump with up to 300 horsepower and 30 miles per gallon. The Dodge Challenger is the most affordable V8 in its class. Actually, you're driving a Hellcat right now. Yeah. Right? How do you, So far, so good? So far, so good, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. automatic, though. It, yeah, it's, this is a press fit. I was a little bit disappointed when you turned it with an auto, but yeah, loving it. Okay. The, uh, also, the Dodge Journey. The Dodge Journey is the most powerful three-row, all-wheel drive vehicle in its class. That's probably another one you guys get to spend some time in that I do not get to spend some time in. Um, also, we have the Dodge Durango. It's the most powerful SUV with all-wheel drive availability in its class. Your initiation to the Brotherhood of Muscle starts at your local Dodge dealership. Tell me about the uh, the Hellcat. You've also got something going on with the Hellcat soon, right? Like as you're listening to this, uh, this will be on air Wednesday. You're heading out to Fontana. That's right. I'm. Uh, we're actually Edwin supports uh, a charity JD JDRF, which is uh, basically about finding a cure and supporting people with type one diabetes. So fantastic cause. 
Um, I'm heading out in the, the Hellcat wide body to, to take people around Fontana and, and do some passenger laps. So uh, people who are brave or stupid enough will be paying money to sit next to me in a, in a Hellcat. <laughs> have you been Have you been practicing down Venice Boulevard and on the 405? Uh, a little bit. You know, I, I, I've had this car for about four days. I think, I think, I think I've used full throttle once. I mean, really? see, it's in LA. I've been sitting in, in traffic LA. for four days. You know, yeah, it's in LA. But you are getting ten miles to the gallon at least, right? Uh, I'm. I think I'm averaging about nine point three at the moment. Okay, the car. Which, well, yeah. hey, look. Like I said, you can get a Dodge Charger with three hundred horsepower and thirty miles per gallon, or you can get a Hellcat. <laughs> yeah. and get l- more horsepower and less miles per gallon. But either way, like at least there you go. You can get whatever you want. Depends um, how you drive it as well. Uh, I, I talked to I talked to Goldberg the other day. Like I said, he's out doing the NASCAR stuff, and he's he's still moving forward, um, uh, working on his Charger and or I'm sorry, his uh, his Demon, his, his Challenger Demon. And it's interesting because as we move forward with this, or as he moves forward with this, he realized there there are significant differences between the Hellcat and the one you brought. It's the wide body Hellcat. Yeah. Between that and the Demon, the Demon really is set up more for drag racing it has better weight transfer to the rear tires and but as a result maybe doesn't quite handle as well as a hellcat but his intention is to make a a road handling version of a demon so there's a lot going now back into the suspension and the brakes of this demon to make it a badass corner carver and it's probably going to be the first one done this way um and uh going back we're talking like you know Talking to Bilstein and talking to Brembo and trying to figure out what what needs to be done and and it's it's going to be badass. I'm going to wait for him to come back and tell you guys more about it. But uh, an ongoing project which we love here. We love our car projects. We got the Mustang. We got my Alfa Romeo, the M3. Which I'll get some updates on the M3 as well. It's getting dyno tuned. I'm going to come in with some dyno numbers pretty soon. I can tell you we did an initial dyno before any tuning. And we put 410 down to the tires. Now, this is a 19 or 2001 E46 M3. Right. With a supercharger that we added to it. Right. E46. That's the, that's the V8, right? No, it's a straight six. That's the last. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's the last. It's, the it's six, like a 333 it? horse. You that's know, right. So that yeah, probably yeah, yeah. puts down something like 295 at the tires stock. Yeah. And we just put down 410. And I think there's more in there. I definitely think there's more in there. Um, and uh, we're going to see. We're going to see how it goes. I can tell you already as it is, uh, it hooks up for shit. Like, it just tears up tires. I definitely need new tires on it. The ones that are on there are old and, and hard. And and uh, uh, we're going to be doing um, a set of HRE wheels, which I'll tell you about um, uh, when we get a little closer to that. And I got to get some tires on it. And, and hopefully this thing sticks a little better because right now it's it's completely useless on the road. It's, <laughs> it's completely useless. Uh, but it's going to be it's gonna be a fun project. So we've got a handful of those things. on the, And I don't know what to do with the Alfa Romeo. I have a 91 Alfa Romeo Spider. I love it. Well. Fantastic. Yeah, that sounds like a little more like your thing. It is. I mean, I'm kind of... Like it's small and it's slow and that's very... I don't know. When I come to the US, to I kind of fancy a, fancy a Hellcat or I'm quite excited by a well, GT500. Like, now that you're here, you got to get like a GT500 or something. Yeah, yeah, I was either looking at that or I wanted a Morgan three-wheeler. You know, the little bike engine thing? Yeah. Um, Interesting I, idea, but no. I, was, I, went, I, went, <laughs> te- I went and test drove it in, in Santa Monica and I was talking to Morgan back in the UK and, and they said to me, look, if you want to do this, you can. We'll, we'll help you. You can work with the designers. You can make this thing look how you want and everything else. 
So we kind of own that. The only thing that's, that that scares me a little bit about that is you basically sit on the floor and in, yeah. in LA, nobody's going to see you. Well, we we were just talking about if you were in a car accident between a Yukon and a smart car, yeah. you want to be in the Yukon. Well, imagine being in that thing. It's like, mm-hmm. look, I, there's a bunch of people out here in LA that are very responsible motorcycle drivers and it's a great way to commute. But I think everyone on a bike will tell you they've gone down at least once yeah. and it's usually because it's, it's somebody who doesn't see them. Yeah, and in a, yeah. in a Morgan, and you, and I, the other thing yeah. I tried, I I used to race a Caterham. I don't know whether yeah uh, listeners will be familiar with Caterhams, but uh, I used to race based on the old Lotus Seven uh, originally. Mm-hmm. I used to race one in the in the in the UK and Europe for the last four years, and I tried to look at can I bring my my race car over and turn it back into a road car, and in the end, it just started getting a little bit too tricky. But uh, yeah. again, same problem. Would anybody see me? Even actually on track days in those things, if you had 911s alongside you and things like that, nobody could see Yeah, you. it's tough. Yeah. So you got to find something that's that's fun and sporty that you can run around with, you know, a few times a week or on the weekends. But then you need like an everyday driver, like something, I don't know, like a 75 911. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I have a 993. <laughs> I have a 993 back in... Um, <laughs> Back at home, and it's actually sitting with um, a friend of my dad's at the moment. It's uh, good. It's just sitting there collecting money. It, it's, like it's uh, earning value. That's a cool, cool car than a 9.3. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, and it has earned some value as well. It's probably the best investment I ever made. But um, it, when it's 25 years old, I can bring that over. But I don't know if you're mm-hmm. familiar with it, but in the U.S., if a car's 25 years old, yeah. even if it's right-hand drive and everything else, then it can come over. And the nice thing about that is it doesn't have the silly little – uh, what do you call it? Like the little umbrella thing on the back, which the U.S. cars had for the, the third brake light. Oh yeah, so yeah. You keep the kind of pure 911 look. So okay. yeah, very lucky. I, I saved up for it many years ago and bought it. I was very lucky to buy it at the, at the bottom end of the market when it costs the same as a Focus. And, and the daily driver this week though is a Hellcat. So we got that. Yeah, very sensible. Um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your your Tesla, your Model Three. There's so much going on. Like. I, I like the idea of what Tesla is doing. So don't get me wrong, because uh, sometimes when I start getting into Tesla, I I, I sort of um, I bash the idea of the of the business model of of he's got no money, so he's like we've got Model Threes and we need to make Model Threes now, and and because everybody paid for them, so I'm going to go and I'm going to announce a semi truck and a pickup truck and a roadster, and I'm going to take deposits. And then I'm going to use that money to make the Model 3s that I should have been making the whole time. So um, there's a little bit of that. And I, it, it's not meant to send, sound bitter. It's just unconventional in this world. But that being said, uh, I like the Tesla. I drove the Tesla. It's fantastic. I love what it's doing. I love the idea that an electric car doesn't need to look like a crappy whatever and go slow and run out of charge on the middle of the freeway. And I drove like a version one Nissan Leaf and that was the only press car. Like I just gave it back. Right. Like I, it doesn't go anywhere. Like, and I try to drive to like Orange County and they're like, it's a hundred miles. So like not at 70 miles an hour. Yeah. Like it's not, that's before they sort of calculated, you know, they're like, oh, it's a hundred miles, you know, at 35 miles an hour around city. But as soon as you get on the freeway, it really just drains it. Like, I, which I understand that, you know, you drive a golf cart, you drive around town here. We got these bird scooters all over the place and you, you drive those things around. If you're just full throttle the whole time, you're going to eat battery. But now they've sort of calculated things differently to make the battery mileage, you know, the range more accurate. So there's definitely things that we're learning, but. So my issue isn't necessarily – I want to talk about your Tesla, and we're probably going to run out of time before we get into autonomous cars too much. But uh, – well, let's start with the Tesla. So you guys got a Tesla Model 3. You, sure. Somebody waited in line. Yeah, 4 a.m. 
Yeah, and and got it. And you've had a, a Edmunds has owned other Teslas, so there was maybe like a little bit of a priority or list or something you can get on. I, I can't say for sure, but maybe yeah. because you've owned one already. We had a Model S and a Model X. So the company, you know, we, the company went out and bought a Model S, went out and bought a Model X, so that when the three came along, we were we were sitting pretty. Yeah, so so we're doing that, and then. How do you guys like it so far? What's what's going on with with the car? I've seen a few videos that have been posted, um, both officially and unofficially. Some from you guys, uh, some staff personally, and some right. from from Edmonds. And uh, um, what's what's the verdict on the Model Three so far? Do you know what? It's hard. It, you know that Tesla. So polar as opinions, and you get so many fanboys that every time you say anything negative, we just got get get leapt on, on on social media, on YouTube, and everywhere else. But philosophically, I like I like the car. I like what it does. I like that somebody's come into the market and and freshened everything thing up. the 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 issue we have with it is it just things keep breaking, um, and that that's just not. That's just not okay. You know, we've got problems with the screen. We've had prob- We've had with the, the radio, um, the, the central scheme with the radio, which was suddenly uh, you saw that one. Yeah, <laughs> saw that. so the guys, this hasn't happened to me yet. So uh, we, they, but we're driving home. Apparently, suddenly the radio will come on at kind of maximum volume, and our um, director of testing, Dad, Dan, Dan Edmund, is a great guy. Yeah, you he know, Dan is something. He's like, guy. here's the car. I can't get in it because the radio is full blast, and I don't know what to do. And he's I'm, like, not even in the car. And apparently, he came out of his house. He's like, oh my god, there's somebody being really obnoxious, and then realized it was his car. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're having it's just these little these little things which really start to, to grade after a while. It's funny we have a car list in the office, and this thing comes around every day. And, and depending where where you are on the list that day, you kind of choose, almost choose what you take home. And I was looking at the Model 3, and I thought, should I take that with you? I thought, mm. <laughs> and if you have some place to be. Yeah. All right, so look, it's new car. It's new technology. There's going to be bugs in the system. Sure. And luckily, a lot of those are software updates. And because they can send software update over the air, um, it's it's – you know, like it's annoying, but that's kind of what you're buying into as sort of an early adopter in this in this technology world. A little some bit. things like that. But my issue is, is now it feels like, and again, we probably don't have time to get too much into it. Why are we beta testing with people's lives? Like, why are we testing autonomous features? And people are like, oh, that guy died. It's like, yeah, but it's it's fine. That's like, that's part of like, how is that Okay. I think the straight answer is it, it, it's not. Um, I mean, we did a test with it, which you can see on our, our on the Edmunds YouTube page, and we can probably talk about more uh, next time. But we did a test with the the Model Three on a a pretty standard uh, single lane highway, and we went over a series of undulations. And suddenly, the autopilot went crazy. Basically, it couldn't read the white lines when it was going up and up and down. Not a hill, really, just an just an undulation. And we ran the ran the film on this, and, and before we ran it, I I think I basically sent it to Tesla and said, "Guys, do you want to comment on this? What are, what are your thoughts? Can you explain it?" And within about ten minutes, I had the PRs on the on on the phone and saying, "You know, we we've updated the software, and if you look at your car now, and we'd done the test actually back in February, and we held it back for various reasons. And at the end of March, they did a new software update, 2018, 10.5 to be exact. This was sent over the airwaves, so it's okay." So we checked the car, it had been fitted, we went back out the same road, and yes, it's genuinely improved. So at one level, great that you've sent this update across the airwaves, great that you've improved the technology. But at the same time, we've had that, we've had that car. We've, this technology, Autopilot, was launched in October 2014. Yeah. 
And we paid $5,000 for that option, which brings its own level of expectation. And it's called Autopilot. It's called Autopilot. It's called Autopilot. Like, that's so, what you watch. That's what you want when you're in a plane and watching Star it, Trek. Like, that's what you think it's going to do. And also, why is it your responsibility as the customer to find these issues tell Tesla, and then have them send an off-star for update. And they have all this, um, if you read the manual, which is part of the, the screen, that you know, that it's full of caveats. You know, don't use this if this, don't do this, and this is a beta system. It's been beta for four years. Okay, that's fine. But, yeah. but are, should we beta test on public roads and people getting hurt or injured or killed? I, I think the, 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 my straight and, answer is and, no. And, I, think, look, I think this is, this is the he, way they pitched it. And the, the way they originally presented it and the way that, you know, it continues to evolve, there comes a point where you've just got to take some responsibility. And in, in my, my opinion, it was just pitched and launched too early. Right. Okay. But here's the thing is this isn't to be picking on Tesla. The reason why Tesla comes up in this scenario is because Tesla is so vocal in their PR, Elon Musk and yeah. everything else. That's part of the marketing strategy. That's what works for them. Okay. But – Many car companies are doing their versions of autopilot and autonomous driving or whatever, and everybody's getting tests and things like that. I'm sure issues are happening all over the board, but because the Tesla world is so social media oriented and so vocal from its CEO that everything sort of falls on the shoulders, probably quite unfairly, of the Tesla brand. But that being said, Tesla has some issues with it, you know, and maybe. I don't know. I don't. Maybe Audi does. Maybe Cadillac does. But, um, but I don't think it's fair for us to blame Tesla for everything. But also, it's not fair for us to look at Tesla to develop all of these new technologies. We need a good, safe way to develop these new technologies. Because I understand Cadillac has a version of this, maybe not full autopilot, that's leaps and bounds better. Well, this is where I mean. Firstly. I agree with you. I think the issue from the other manufacturers is that I don't think anybody else would have launched it then. They would have done another two or three years of development. Right. And also, if you think about the scale of Tesla and the scale of something like Mercedes, you know, they just have more people, more resource to throw at it. Yeah. Um, and that helps. But yes, Cadillac GM have, have launched something called Super Cruise. And, and the reason we found this stuff out about autopilots, because we did a a twin test, which is on our YouTube channel. Isn't that enough plugs for you? Uh, on our YouTube <laughs> yeah. channel now, which... Um, so you have a YouTube channel? Yeah, we've got a YouTube <laughs> channel, which which compares the Cadillac CT6 Super Cruise with the, yeah. with the Tesla Model 3, not comparing car with car, but comparing system with system. Cadillac's is, is very different. You can actually take your hands off, off the wheel, but it actually monitors whether your... It, it has different sort of sensors that triangulate, two on the steering wheel, I think one on the... Uh, one on the dashboard, which makes sure you're paying attention. So if you take your eyes off the road... Yeah, for it, more than it, a split second. It wants to tell you. It it's tells like, you. Hey, pay attention. It tells you and shuts the system down. And even even if you have sunglasses on and look away, so you sort of keep your head there and keep your head looking straight and then look with your eyes to the right, it will install... It, can, it uses infrared. I don't know the physics, but it uses infrared or something. So it works it. It can work it out. And so this... And then they've, then they've got a highway network across the U.S., um, and actually where you can go on the website and see which highways have been been rated. So it doesn't work everywhere. It will only work on a road where GM says it's okay, it's clearly marked, it knows the conditions. And if you come in if it comes into an area where it doesn't work or it's not comfortable, it just shuts itself down. So in terms of just the caveats in that system, um, you know, it's it's a different way of approaching the same problem. And of course we're all on this path to autonomy which is probably going to be here sooner than we sooner than many people think but 
yeah, a different way of approaching it, and in some ways, a slightly more, um, a slightly more robust approach. I think. Yeah. Okay. So autonomous cars. Like, I'm not. A, I'm not opposed to the idea. I like the idea. There's probably a lot of people that drive and shouldn't. <laughs> and I certainly wouldn't mind, you know, ordering up an Uber and, and just have the car show up and take me wherever I yeah. need to go and and whatnot. Because we've talked about that before. Because I just don't like having a conversation in front of a stranger. <laughs> um, but when we say this technology is close, the reality is my Uber's not going to show up to my house and pick me up and take me to Hollywood in the next two years. Probably not in the next five to seven years. Like the reality is, is by time this technology has really worked out and laws and legislation and everything else have figured themselves out, it's it's going to be a minute. Yeah, but it might in ten. Uh, yeah. And I think actually, and I think once once you start to get a kind of snowball effect, yeah. But I think actually, what it will do within ten years, I think what the the scenario you've just explained, picking you up and driving you to Hollywood, I can see that happening easily within ten years, possibly, uh, possibly, possibly even quite sooner. But probably what it won't do is then take you to take you to somewhere else. So it'll be within quite constrained geographical areas where everything can yeah. be tested everything can be can be monitored so i don't think it's just going to get in the vehicle and take you across the u.s but i think for you know carefully prescribed journeys like that in big urban areas where you've got you know a clear traffic system that that's coming pretty fast i mean it's it's most manufacturers are saying that that in early 2020s they're going to have a, a good level of autonomy and people talk about different levels of autonomy um and we're talking about some you know where we talk about level four which is a technical term but it basically means that you're the vehicle is now in control not not you right do you think autonomous cars are when they do become more available do you think it's going to be on the consumer level or more on the fleet level is it going to be like autonomous cabs and ubers first or is it going to be my car your car like we're testing with Cadillac and Tesla, is it going to be like, take me to work and then go home? Like, you know, like maybe I, you know, I'm out in Santa Monica and I need a ride. So I tell my car to come and get me. (laughs) I I think initially, I think a lot of the testing, we've just seen an interesting thing in New York, uh, the auto show, Waymo signed a deal with with Jaguar for 20,000 iPaces. Yeah. Waymo is Google's uh, autonomous vehicle play. Um, and that that sort of thing will be a lot more around the kind of Uber, Lyft type GMO, GM invested. I think it was a billion dollars in nine percent of Lyft, precisely for this reason. Because also then it allows them to control the fleet. They can monitor it. They can use it for data. So they're in they're much more yeah. in control than they are if it's a, it's a passenger vehicle. My hunch is actually we'll see more and more technology for for consumers like you and I. Where you know this morning I wake up and I've got to drive here, but I'm not really driving here. I'm just crawling here down the you know along the. The I one ten or whatever it was, and so that that's where it will will work. I I agree, unless rules change on how we beta test. If we're allowed to sell Teslas and Cadillacs and whatever, and consumers can test their version of autopilot or whatever, then then it will trickle to consumers. But if that privilege gets taken away, then then it's going to be pretty much fleet because that's going to be the only way you can test would be like the Lyfts and Ubers of the world are going to have to like get you. Now, from a business standpoint, they're like, yes, we need these investments from these car companies. We can give them data. We can say, hey, we're going to put a thousand of these cars on the road and we're going to get you data from all thousand of these cars, which car companies love. And from their point of view, they're like, well, we can lower our 
our expenses by eliminating, you know, uh, manpower. Yeah, right? people, right? right? Eliminating people driving the yeah. cars and and all of the drama that comes with it, and you know, somebody punching somebody in the head or whatever that is. You have your issue <laughs> with the Uber driver. We were in Vegas. Oh, Chris was with us. We were in Vegas, and uh, a friend was with us, and um, uh, she said. Now, she had just come off of, like, a terrible car accident. So we're in the back of an Uber, and the Uber guy was just messing around with his phone the whole time and doing this and trying to find his next ride. And she's like, do you mind not playing with your phone until we get to the destination? And he just lost his shit. Really? He just, he just like, you're cutting into my livelihood. He's like, F you. He's like, this is how I make my living. He stops the car, and he's throwing his phone down, and we're like... What happened to this guy? Like this guy just woke up on the wrong oh. side. He was so mean. He was, that was so the most awkward Uber ride I've ever and, been. Ever the back like, just tuck and roll, open yeah, that door, just like, and, can and you leave just, you guys. Well, we just want to get out. We just want to get out. But you know, we want to get out at the Cosmo. Like we don't want to get out here. Like yeah. you know, like we just want to just take us. He was so mad. He was yelling at his phone. He's like, "This is how I make my money." I was like, "I understand that, but we're in the car. You're still getting paid. Maybe you should pull over and make your money." Yeah. <laughs> you know. It was so it was so weird. It was the most awkward thing. I, that brought down my Uber rating. Yeah. <laughs> when I when I complained. I what do you do? Like you there's no way to like call somebody and go, Hey, this guy's really on edge today. Yeah. I mean something should be done. All you do is you send a message to Uber and like this guy just yelled at us, and Uber's like, we'll refund your $7.80. Yeah. Have a nice day. It's like, okay, I feel like there's a bigger issue. Like, who's getting in the car after us? You know, he's not going to be like, oh, welcome to my Uber. I'm, I'm fine. No, he's going to be on edge. He's going to be on I'm just saying, sometimes you want to walk. Sometimes it's good to walk. <laughs> it's good for you. Right? Um, Alistair, thanks you for, thank you for coming in. Definitely check out admins.com and all the cool cu- stuff that those guys are doing there. Uh, you're going to be out at uh, Fontana today. Yep, that's right. Should people go out there? What do you want them to do? Uh, this is a private day, actually. It's a private, so day. private charity yeah. day. So, well, then uh, thanks for bringing it up. Next time. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah, guys. Yeah, <laughs> he's just plugging things you guys can't go to. Apparently, you have a next YouTube year. channel. You can so next year. The, you yeah. can next year. Next year. Well, you yeah. guys are doing a good charity thing, so we love that. Um, uh, like we said, Edmonds.com. Where are you on social media? Where should we follow you? I'm uh, on Instagram. I'm at uh, Weaver Alistair, which is W E A V E R A L I S T A I R. Of course, nobody in Starbucks can ever spell it. No, I saw that on your cup when you walk in. <laughs> and on, on Twitter, I'm at Alistair Weaver, which is just the same thing, same the opposite thing. way around. And uh, Edmonds is on all the social media. They're all at Edmonds. Uh, Edmonds.com, yeah, on, on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me at Moderator and, of course, follow Car- CarCast Show on all social media. And, um, and Goldberg, he's not here today, but follow Goldberg and uh, Goldberg Garage on Twitter and Goldberg95 and Goldberg's garage on instagram he's always posting new stuff he's got it, pictures up from his trip on uh, uh to nascar and more demon stuff and if you haven't seen it already he's selling one, one of his hellcats he's got a charger hellcat a challenger hellcat and two demons and i think that's enough so i saw that matt and i just thought oh, is that, is that yeah, and i thought that, that, that i that i looked at the bank account and <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you could get one of those. It's nice. I've been in it. It's badass. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's got exhaust it's on it. It's got a bottom. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's it's nice. Look, it's going to be low miles and well taken care of. Yeah. All he does is baby those things. Yeah. You can have it. You can have Goldberg's. You, Chris can have it. Do you think you'll do me a deal? Uh, no. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he likes you, but no. 
Um, all right, guys, thank you so much for listening, and uh, um, we're you know we're growing the show, so we're this is the new part of Carcast. So uh, go on to iTunes if you haven't done so. Give us a nice little rating. Give us a comment. How do you like the new the new stuff that we're doing? Reach out to us on social media. We'd love to hear from you guys about it. And uh, until next time, keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. <laughs> <laughs>